right, everybody. Welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast. My name is Stephen Morris, your host. And as always, I'm joined by my awesome dad, David. And today we have an awesome special guest back for you guys, back by popular demand. It's Patricia Ortega from The Uncommon Career. And today she's going to be back and in some comments, you guys wanted to know more about the interview process and how to prepare for it along with resume and how to build and prepare your resume. So today we're diving deep into those uh, two topics with Patricia. We're super excited. So let's go ahead and get it started. Here we go. All right, everybody, we're back. Welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Stephen Morris, and as always, I'm joined by my awesome dad, David. Say hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. There you go. (laughs) And today, back by popular demand, we have a very special guest with us. We have Patricia Ortega from The Uncommon Career. How you doing, Patricia? I'm good. It's so great to be back and so excited to just chat with everybody. We are so glad to have you back. I really enjoyed our last conversation and I can't wait. Literally, I've been excited about this all week uh, when we were talking about doing it again. Awesome. um, Me too. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So how's how's it been? It's been what, two months since we talked? Has anything new and exciting happened in your life? You know, um, there's always something new and exciting. So I'm trying to pick a thing. Oh, (laughs) random, but I have a little golden doodle. I have two of them. I have one of them who is now not only fully potty trained, but he is no longer jumping on the counter, which is amazing. So that's my big home moment. I mean, you can see the kind of things that make me happy now. They're so small. (laughs) Um, But then the other thing is we started, I started an Instagram. So we jumped on there. Um, Small beginnings, uh, but it is, you know, new. So people can find me over on Instagram. What's your username? Right. I feel like a grandma sometimes. Oh, my username. Yes. Um, it is the underscore uncommon underscore career. We, we got some feedback after our last show we did together. And um, people, first of all, loved loved what you brought to the show. They loved you. And they asked a couple of questions. And one of those questions was resume preparation. Mm. And I know for me, and I'll, I'll explain to to you what a resume is later, Dad. Okay. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, I've never heard the word. Yeah, I didn't figure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, for me, especially resume preparation for a new job, applic- or when you're applying for a new job, is probably more stressful to me than the actual process of getting said job. Like it's for me, it's hard. You know, your wording has to be perfect. Your spacing, like no typos, like which, which format do you use? There's so many formats. So for someone like me, just, and you heard me like, say we're in a coffee shop and you hear me complaining about preparing my resume. What, what is the, just the quick little, Hey, this will help you do your resume that you can give me right now. Okay. So I would actually, before I give the, here's how I would say, let's back up a little bit and hopefully this takes a little bit of pressure off. 
you know, that you may have heard that, you know, 20% of your effort will result in 80% of the outcome. Correct. Your resume, it's not that 20%. So that should take a lot of the pressure off. Like your resume is not that 20%, not at all. Your resume needs to be good. Doesn't have to be perfect. Now, let me now backtrack a little bit on that. Yes, we are aiming for a quote unquote perfect resume when it comes to like the spacing and blah, 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 right? But that's the last step. Your first step is getting your mindset right around it. It's figuring out, okay, let me take my experience and write it all down. Don't worry about, you know, what it looks like. Don't worry about spelling things correctly. The time will come for that. (laughs) Just get it on paper. It's sort of like a brain dump. And so you write down your positions, all your work history, but everything you've written down is in your vernacular. Like everything you've written down is the way that you perceive your work to be. And so what we need to do, and you can do this on your own, you can do this with a coach, you can do this with a friend. There's also, if you're, you know, short on cash or you're just like, hey, I just want to save a few bucks. There are places called, um, they're like career and employment um you know, resources that are in person that you can find in your community where someone can help you with this. But what you want to do is take everything that you've written down. So all of your tasks and number one, turn them into accomplishments. And number two, speak the employer's language. So whereas I might say, I was previously a a counseling faculty. I might say, I taught 30 students, um, career and life success, um, you know, career and life success methodologies. That's what I would say from my perspective. But if I'm trying to go into a position that is like a training and development position for a larger corporation, I wouldn't actually say that. I would take that same skill set and I would change it to their language. And typically you do this by reading some of the descriptions for the jobs that you want to go into. You might even highlight some key words and be like, hey, I've done that. I just don't call it that. And as long as it's honest and accurate, using a different word is totally fine. So then my one, you know, bullet of I teach students career and life planning, I might say I train students to succeed in their career. And that's just the smallest change. But there's so much you can do as far as, you know, the details that you add. So in that particular bullet as a teacher, I might add a detail of, you know, how many students I trained at once, you know, the fact that they are college age students, or if it's a community college like I was at, there's, you know, 80 year olds, 40 year olds, 30 year olds, there's people who have come back after felonies and convictions. There's folks who have had five year gaps. There's folks who were in really high positions, but the, you know, 2008 recession came. This was like 10 years ago now. The 2008 recession came and they found themselves, like I met with a lot of architects who were like, I have no work. I have to change industries completely, right? So so since I'm trying to transfer that skill set from higher education to, I think we said it was the corporate world, a training position in the corporate world, now I would identify and highlight different details. So I wouldn't say college age students, I would say a diverse population. I wouldn't say, you know, we provided homework activities. I would say we included hands-on, you know, 
hands-on um, training and development resources. So you basically identify what you did and you put it in the language of the job that you want to go into. All of that to say, we can spend hours and hours and that can become days and that can become weeks and that can become, I never really went through, I'm just going to keep my job that I'm at now. And so it's always going to be worth it to say, I'm going to give an hour to do step one, which is to write down all my experience. And then I'm done. I'm done. Step away from it. Then I'm going to give myself another hour on a totally different day when I'm rested, I'm not frustrated with the resume process. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, let me highlight or prioritize the most important accomplishments from those positions. And that's it. You step away. A couple days later, you come back. Okay, now that I see what I have here, now let me try picking a format. And the simplest format, the better. Like if you're going down the rabbit hole of like, oh, this blue looks better than that blue and this one has columns, like you're going the wrong way. <laughs> the best resumes. I'm talking lawyers, accountants, corporate business folks, engineers, the best resumes. I helped someone, this was like a little bit, maybe like six or eight months ago. No, it's going to be longer than that. But um, they went from a job driving a UPS truck. They had engineering experience previously, but had taken a five-year break. They went from that to driving a UPS is when I met them. And they were like, well, I can't go back into engineering because it's been too long. And I'm like, well... Let's see about that. We did their resume, spent very little. We just spent a couple days on their resume, max. If you ask, oh, what template did they use? Times New Roman, 12 point font, and just hit return, <laughs> bold, italicize here and there, and that's it, very simple. The point is just enough. There's a quote, there's a quote that says, um, design is best when it's invisible. Mm. Like true design is best when your experience as the viewer just not like you just feel like, oh, I get it. And you didn't mm -hmm. have to think too much about it. That's design. And that's what you want to do with your resume. You want to mm -hmm. have minimal design. If I look at your resume and I'm like, wow, you spent a lot of time designing it. That's not the that's not the look we're going for, because that tells me, A, you probably spent too much time on it. And B, the design is going to distract from the content and you want the content to be the star. So you know, get your experience, highlight your top accomplishments, identify your format, and then the very last piece, once everything else is done, then we say, let's look at all the words that we misspelled. <laughs> then we, right? Like, then we put it into Word. Once we know what everything else is going to look like, it's so much more manageable and less stressful to say, my one job, you've got one job, and that job is to catch the extra comma, the word that's misspelled, the word that needs to be past tense and all that good stuff. Um, I could go on, but that's like the gist of it to, to not overwhelm yourself with the resume because at the end of the day, the resume is not part of the 20% that's the most important part of the process. If I can tell you one thing that you remember from here, the thing that's gonna be your 20% that results in your outcome is your personal connections with folks, your referrals and your network. Okay. <clears throat> and so, so you say, well, well, why is, because whenever you hear people talk, it, it sounds like the resume is, if you don't have a superstar resume, you might as well not apply. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and yeah. you're absolutely right. There have been jobs where I've, I've seen 
the job. Or I've even had people approach me and be like, hey, man, you should come work for us. And it's like I look at my resume and all the work I would have to put into it to to get it up to mm. up to snuff. And then it's like, yeah. eh, I'll keep my yeah. job. <laughs> like, so I mean, oh. where does this misconception come from? Why are we so worried about the resume if it's not that important? So here's the thing. And I'm so glad you asked that question. Yes, the resume is important. Like it does need to be up to date. It does need to look good. But think about it this way. How much do you get paid per hour working at your regular job? Let's just throw out a number. Let's say it's $65 an hour. If you get paid $65 an hour to work at job A that you're currently at, most people think they have to spend that time themselves. And as someone who doesn't work on resumes every single day, if you don't have someone with you, it can be extremely overwhelming. I, I get that. But imagine you're probably going to spend, let's be really, really conservative. If you've got no one helping you and you're YouTubing videos and trying to make sense of all the sometimes bad advice that's out there, mm -hmm. how long is it going to take you between learning and trial and error and blah, blah, blah? Let's say at the absolute minimum five hours. So let's calculate, right? Your hourly rate, if you were on the job, it would be $65 an hour, we said. So I'm gonna hop on my calculator here and we're gonna do 65 times the absolute minimum five hours, $325. That is actually right around the price of getting a resume review if you were only to get a resume review and nothing else, like someone basically writing your resume for you. Okay. I, I worked with a woman, what, last Saturday? Last Saturday. Okay. She had, she sent me a 13-page resume. She's like, this is my short. She goes, she sent me a seven-page and a 13-page. And the seven-page, she goes, the seven-page is my shortened version. And so I'm like, okay. So I basically went through, read everything. She has a mountain of experience. I mean, this, I was so excited. I'm like, man, we're going to take the most important pieces. And we went from that 13-page and that seven-page resume down to one double-sided sheet had a lot of great information but here's like the beauty of it it took me because i've been doing this for so long it took me one hour to narrow it down it took me i think it was like 35 minutes asking her a bunch of questions clarifying what she did pulling out like the key pieces and maybe another mm, 30 minutes to do that last layer of typos word tense you know just making it like really shine okay so it took me all of three hours, so less than it would take on one person. I'm, I'm almost exaggerating here because I'm telling you 13 pages and seven pages is like not the norm, right? She had documented so well. But all of that, imagine, are you willing to spend the time or is it worth it because of the rate that you currently get paid? Is it worth it to say, I'm going to spend three or four or five hours worth of my regular pay in order to make 500, 1,000, 2,000 more every single month. Like this is where we don't see, we don't see the future impact. We don't see it as an investment because if someone offered you a role and you know that's a better role, like you know you're going to make more, you're going to like it, it's a move up, you're moving up the ladder, all that good stuff. Some folks are like, oh, $400 for a resume. Like, oh, that's too much. And I'm like, really? I would give $400 in a heartbeat. If someone was offering me a job and the only barrier is that $400, because I know that's going to mean $500 every single month from here on out. And every time you go for a new position, 
they're going to ask for your salary. So that $400 you paid to move up one time is going to pay in dividends for the rest of your life. Hmm. That's, that's really so, good advice. Wow. It's just, it's worth it. It's worth it. And for some folks, all they need is a resume. So fine, 400 bucks. For other folks, it's the package. Because if your resume looks really good and then you go into the interview and people ask you questions and they think you're so well versed from your resume, but then you can't answer the questions like eloquently or you can't communicate, then that's where it gets a little bit tougher because the interview is another part of that 20%. That's a really important piece. So some folks will who can communicate really well, but just don't want to mess with like all the technicality of the resume. Those are the folks who want to pay for their resume, get it done, boom, move on. But then folks who are like, I don't really know how to communicate myself. Those are the folks that can really benefit from coaching because I've seen people go from, I have no skill sets. I don't really know what I can do. Just a, it's like this lie of the enemy because we all have skill sets and like, I call them superpowers and like signature contributions, right? But people don't see them. And so what a coach can do and what I help to do is I help you see those, I help you articulate those, and I help you get so confident in those that you can speak. You don't have to memorize an answer that someone asks you, hey, what do you do? And you just kind of like speak from the heart because you finally internalize like how much impact you had at your prior company. And that's like the whole package. So that's the difference between buying, you know, or, you know, hiring a resume writer versus hiring like a comprehensive, you know, career coach. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that, that's great advice. Now, what about a cover letter? Ah, the controversial piece. So depending on who you ask, you're going to find YouTube videos that are going to say the cover letter is, you know, it's toilet paper. Like you don't need it. You know, nobody cares. Nobody reads it. And then you're going to find people who are like your cover letter is where you basically call out the elephant in the room. This is especially true if you're someone who has like a ding on your career background. Maybe you got fired or you've taken a long break like the person I was speaking of, they took a very long break so they used the cover letter as a way to kind of explain what was going on during those five years. And so in that case, the cover letter was helpful. All of this assuming the employer read it. So at the end of the day, there is no guarantee that the employer's gonna read it. However, if I had an opportunity to share something with the employer that was of benefit to me, then I have to take action on what I'm responsible for, which is why I would do the cover letter. Because if you don't, that's like saying, oh, well, they don't read it anyways. And so you're putting the responsibility for your outcome on the employer. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's not necessarily the way that someone becomes successful in their career. Someone who's successful in their career is a person who, who says, I'm gonna be successful, so I'm gonna do everything in my power to be successful. I'm not gonna worry about the other people out there. If there's a manager who says, I don't care about their cover letter, I'm not gonna read it, then maybe you don't wanna work for that manager. Right. Right? Wow. Or if it's God's will, God's gonna happen with or without a cover letter, but at least you know you did what you needed to do and presented your best foot forward with the cover letter. So basically, summarizing what you just said, the, the cover letter is the, is your ability to take control of what you can control and, and what, what else happens, then it just happens. If they read it, then they read it. If they don't, then that's on them. Yeah. But I mean, so 
Hmm. I, 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 was, I always understood you had to have a cover letter accompanying your resume. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even realize it was an option. Sometimes it's specifically asked for. And when you pull up your hiring materials, depending on the company and the description, they will specifically ask for a resume, an application, maybe supplemental questions, maybe a portfolio, like a digital portfolio or whatnot. Um, and sometimes it'll say cover letter optional. Sometimes you'll just have to put the cover letter in as an extra piece. Or if you're emailing them the materials, sometimes your cover letter is basically the email that you send in. Mm-hmm. And some folks will literally just say, see attached. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're giving up an opportunity to show them your personality, to connect with them as a human being. Like you're giving up that, that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not always required. Um, but it's just, it's another way to show part of your branding. Uh, I, was about, I was about to say, I wanted to interrupt you because like, that, that's really good. Like even if you hand it in on paper, your the cover letter, like you said, is the your ability to, to start making that personal connection. Because mm-hmm. when it comes to getting hired, a, a lot of times, well, I mean, I've hired people that, you know, after further review may have not been qualified for the job or what I was looking for in the job, but I really liked them. And Mm -hmm. it it was like, you know, I trusted them. And there are some people, like, as soon as they walk in the room and start to speak to you, you just automatically start to trust them, you Mm -hmm. know, because they're so genuine, they're open, they're charismatic. And that, that can be a bad thing, but I mean, mm-hmm. full transparency, like you're going to nine times out of 10, correct me if I'm wrong. The person that you connect with most is more, at least in my experience is more than likely the person that's going to get hired. Yeah. Is you know, that... I think you bring up a really good point. You bring, it's just such a great point. I actually saw this, like, um, this video with this it's a company that trains managers to interview well. And something that they're training managers to do is they say, you know, the best way to hire a candidate is to do a blind review because then you're going strictly off of their skills and not so much off of fit and personality and and things like that, where there could be so much room for bias. And I agree. But at the same time, because managers across the board aren't doing that, that's not something that everybody does. It's the exception, not the rule. Most people do make decisions exactly like you're saying. Like, if I can trust you, if there's that like X factor that we have good chemistry, we can work together. Um, we do many times make decisions based off who can communicate themselves better. And if you communicate yourself confidently, then that confidence is transferred onto the person that you're talking to. And they cannot be confident in you if you're not confident in yourself. Right. If you're like, uh, 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 in the interview, you don't really know what you're saying or don't feel confident in yourself. They're going to be like, Ooh, I don't, I don't think this person can do the job. Right. So even though, you know, it would be less biased to do everything completely blind, people need to work with people. And so you do need to be able to trust the person and you're right. The person who communicates the best, the person who connects, the person who, you know, literally comes in and brightens up your day as part of an interview process, for goodness sakes, that everyone's like, oh, I got to interview 10 people. If there's someone that like may just smile in that process, like that's going to make a big difference. Right. I, I mean, 
I, I've had several interviews where I, I did get end up getting the job where we spent, you know, and maybe 45 minutes to an hour in the interview and maybe 10 minutes talking about the actual job. And then the mm-hmm. rest of the time we're just shooting the, you know, shooting it, just talking, <laughs> having fun. And yeah. so when, when you were talking about the, um, interview process to take out the bias of the hiring. <clears throat> Couldn't that be a bad thing though? Because if you can't get a good gauge on personality, um, you know me, I'm big on teams. I'm big on having a good cohesive team and mm-hmm. the wrong personality with the wrong team can be detrimental. So when you, when you lose that, if you're having a blind, interview basically i think so i think so the idea what that that um company it's like a coach at a company the idea they were talking about i think is a really interesting idea to like remove some of the bias but i think like with all human with all human issues they're they're hardly ever black and white and so I think you're absolutely right. When you take out some of the bias, you also take out some of the judgment. And we have to make judgment calls, no matter how much people are like, oh, I don't judge. No, that's not true. You judge every single day. Every, every single day you see somebody, you make a judgment. It's what our brains do. It's a natural, no, you know, I'm not telling you you did something wrong. It's just a physiological, psychological process that you go through. And without it, we would all be so overwhelmed. So just like you said, without your judgment as to this person would be a good fit personality-wise with our team, it's like basketball teams, right? You might see someone who all of a sudden now is hogging the ball and no one else is playing. And because your team isn't cohesive, like you mentioned, they're not effective no matter how talented they are. Right. So I agree with you that there's definitely some merit to not having the blind interviews. And I think it's one of those issues that is because humans are involved. I think it's much too complicated to have like a black and white, like have it totally blind or, you know, don't talk about work at all and just like hang out and see if you guys vibe. Like, I think there's maybe a blend in between that might be helpful. I was about to ask, is, is there a way we can blend the two processes? to to make an even better overall interview process or is it just one or the other no i think it's definitely a blend i think inevitably it's a blend right because that's what the paper cut is for the the resume and this is why it doesn't have to be like amazing but it doesn't need to be accurate so the resume says i meet the minimum qualifications that's really what the point of the resume is. I meet the minimum qualifications and I hooked you just enough. I got you just excited enough that you would call me in for an interview. Now that could be the resume, but it could also be your network. If you're referred in, then all the resume needs to do is meet the minimum qualifications because every manager loves someone who knows someone else they know, who's a right. connection. So, Cause that's all, that's so that's kind of that's like, helping you get past the smell test right off the bat, right? Like. When someone, oh, yeah. I respect this person down the, down the hall from me and they're like, Hey, I got a person you need to meet. I think they'd be a great fit for you. So I respect this person. So they're already passing the, the smell test because mm-hmm. someone's vouched for them. Exactly. Exactly. And the, and in that, in that situation, you know, yes, the interview doesn't include questions where you can dig a little bit deeper on their qualifications, but at the very minimum. 
when you get into an interview, if you do it right as an HR, you should be able to hire any one person in there and you'll be fine. That's mm -hmm. the point of the paper cut. You should be able to hire anybody there. And so I understand why it's like, yeah, it should at some point be a cultural fit. But I was at a uh, public institution. I was at a college where we could not. I remember being in the room and I remember um, thinking, you know, like how this is going to work. And they read us some rules and stuff. And part of the rules are you can't use any kind of argumentation or you can't make the case that they are a good fit, that they are culturally alike, that they get along with so-and-so. You can't say any of those things because they're trying to avoid bias and go by skill set only and this and this and that. Um, so I just found it really interesting that while some organizations kind of lean more on that side, other organizations lean very much. Like if you go into corporate America, you actually get paid as an employee in many companies to bring in a referral because they, that trust process that you were saying. So I just find it interesting how there's like this um, spectrum and there's people all along the spectrum. And I think where you land on the spectrum depends on what type of organization you have and how their resources are allocated. Because as a public institution where I was, the resources are allocated very differently than in a corporation where the CEO and the, you know, the governing, the, you know, higher ups can spend the money however they want versus in mm -hmm. a public institution, they have to follow certain rules. They have to show that they're not being biased and all these different things, you know, right. there's a lot of politics involved. Right. Well, yeah. that, that's some, that's some good stuff. So I want to, I want to transition. <clears throat> So we, we covered resumes, we've covered the interview process from a managerial standpoint. Mm. But one of the other questions that got asked was, what about interview preparation for the person seeking the job? Yes. And when we were talking before the show, you brought up mindset. Mm -hmm. And so let's, let's dive straight into what? I've just said attitude. Attitude? Yes. <laughs> Let's dive straight into your mindset, getting your mindset right, getting that attitude that is going to make someone want to hire you. What, what is, mm -hmm. how, how do we start this process? Because, and like we were talking before the show, you know, I'm a pretty confident person, but even the most mm -hmm. confident person is still going to have that, I don't, I don't even know the word, worry that, that they... Mm -hmm aren't going to measure up, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the career process does this very, because it's, um, I heard the word Amazonified somewhere. I don't remember where, but I heard that word Amazonified <laughs> and I'm like, that's the HR process, right? Like we used, it used to be that you walked into a company, you handed a paper resume, you maybe even got up to a manager or even the CEO at some point, you handed them a paper resume, they took a look at it, they interviewed, it was very, there was maybe like 10, 15 people who applied for the job and that was it. But now you've got hundreds and hundreds of people applying for one job that to be honest, if it's an online posting, may not even be the greatest job in the world because the postings that go online are the jobs that don't get filled internally. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it puts the employee, the candidate in this position, that it almost makes us feel inadequate no matter how, you know, competent we are. 
because the way it's set up, it's a one-to-many, one machine to hundreds and hundreds of people. So we're kind of like clamoring at a concert and we're like, pick me, pick me, pick me. And then when they don't pick us, we're like, oh, something was wrong with me. And then you go to another one, pick me, pick me, pick me. So you're constantly in this position of, and the more you go through it, not to say that we are desperate, but it, it creates this distance that makes it feel as if we're unqualified, as if we're desperately seeking a crumb to fall off the table that we might maybe get an interview. Like, thank you for throwing me a bone. You know, like it shouldn't Mm -hmm. feel that way. So one of the things when it comes to the interview, it kind of, the preparation would happen before it would happen during that time frame where you're submitting resumes and not hearing back. And part of that is getting the personal connection like you mentioned. But let's kind of jump forward and say, okay, you've gotten an interview. Maybe you got it through a personal connection or maybe you got it through an online you know, posting. There's four things that I usually recommend to start preparing your attitude, like you were mentioning, preparing your mindset. The first one is to examine your past experience and let it go. So what do I mean by that? I would take a sheet of paper and write down every other interview or evaluation experience because that's what an interview is. It feels like an evaluation. So if you had a really bad, and I mean go back, like if you had a really bad experience when you were in fourth grade and you were taking a math test and a teacher stood above you, you know what I'm talking, right? Like, and they were like, that's wrong. (laughs) you know like that that happens or if you had a really critical parent that's another one where you just felt like you could never do anything wrong you see (laughs) but those moments stay with us and if there was a moment that stayed with you and you remember it during this process of taking inventory of your past experiences whether it's from childhood or from school or from a past interview like I'll give you an example from my life I don't know if I mentioned it last time. I'll embarrass myself again. So my first semi-professional interview, they asked me, oh, welcome, you know, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. And my response, without telling you why yet, my response was, (laughs) that was my response. Like I just fell apart and started crying and it was so embarrassing. But on the back end, what was happening with me is that I had put a lot of pressure on myself. This is the only interview I have. I have to do this right. And so what I did is literally take every rock from my past that said I can't do it. Every time I'm evaluated, I'm the loser. And I put all those rocks in my backpack and I took that backpack in with me to the interview. So when they asked me, tell us about yourself, I didn't have anything for show and tell. All I had were the rocks of all my failures. And so that to me is like the the exaggerated version because <laughs> I had a lot of rocks in my backpack. That was like the exaggerated. But we all do that. So to some extent, we freeze up, we blank out. Maybe maybe that bottom lip quivers and we're just trying to hold it together, you know? But that's what I would say is write down all your negative experiences interviewing and and like process those. Like what went wrong? Is it something I can do differently? Is it, was I in a negative situation? Was I tired? Did I not eat that morning? Like, Figure that out and then just let it go. It's not going to happen again. It's a new day. This is a new interview. That's the first thing. The second thing is now to look forward. So you've let go of all the things that you think are going to happen based off your past, but now notice and write down all your expectations because we go into an interview and 
we don't want to, but like I secretly have this hope of like, oh, what would it be like if I got this position? And, and I, I put so much hope into that that eventually now I get worried that my expectation, which is a positive thing, won't be fulfilled. So like that expectation of the future is also going to be a rock in my backpack. So I would say, jot down all your expectations and be aware of the impact of that expectation. Now, this could be a positive expectation, like hope in getting the job. And now it's really important for you to do the interview well. That could be weighing you down. That could impact how you portray yourself. But it could also be a bad expectation, just like that past experience. You could say, I have this expectation that I'm going to interview 10 times. So I already know I'm not going to get this job. That's also going to impact your interview because you're not going to prepare as much. You're not going to be as motivated to do well. So write those expectations, be aware of their impact, and then same thing, let it go. It's like you have something in your hand really tight. You want to keep your hand open and you want to say, you know what? And I, I, I'm faith-based. Everything I do is faith-based. And so I usually say, you know what, God, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to do my part. But whatever happens after these 30 minutes is in your hands, not mine. And I'm just going to let it go. So those are the first two things. The third thing, this is where we get a little practical. So all the folks who are like, yeah, 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 give me the practical stuff. This is the, the third piece. You want to start getting confident well before the interview, before you ever get an interview. Basically, when you first start the career process, writing your resume and all that. Um, know what you know. Do a mind map. Put little buckets on a piece of paper and write down your six key areas of contribution to your companies. So maybe it's budgets and account, maybe it's budgets, marketing, you know, softwares. Like what are your superpowers? What are the things that people go to you for? And know those really well and have projects ready for each of those. The better you know those and can talk about them off the cuff. Not just that you look at them on a piece of paper and you're like, check, I know those. That's just the fact that you're familiar, but you want to have the vocabulary to talk about those things confidently and fluently and to relate your skill set to the company that you're going to be, you know, interviewing for. So that's the third step is be intentional and spend time. Everyone thinks they know themselves. I promise you, if you don't spend time, you don't know yourself as well as someone who does take the time to, to word those things. And then the last piece, um, it's grace. That's the last piece is to tap into humility and grace because, you know, I tell my clients all the time, newsflash, you're human. So they're like, what happens if I don't know a question? I was like, I guarantee you, they're going to ask you a question you didn't expect. Oh my gosh. Well, what do I do? Well, number one, don't freak out. Like that's normal. Yeah. You know, like I've never met a manager who, when I asked them, what do you want the interviewer to be? Never have they said perfect. Never. They don't want a perfect person. They want someone who has their flaws, but knows how to work through them. They want someone who can be honest about being a normal human being, but who is reflective, who is willing to learn, who is willing to make mistakes, but owns up for those mistakes. Like it is totally fine to not know a question. And so, you know, give yourself some grace ahead of time. And accept the fact that, hey, there may be a question I don't know. And when that question comes, I'm going to give myself grace and not try to just blurt out an answer because that's what happens when we don't give ourselves grace. 
they ask a question and we're like, well, in that situation, I would um, understand all the concepts and, you know, like we make this thing up instead of saying something like, you know, I haven't come across that situation. Give me a second to think or give me a minute to think. And I would just be silent for a minute, process. And then I would be like, well, I haven't come across something like that yet. But if I did, these are the components I would look at. And you just sort of analyze and talk through the situation with them. And I've even had people who someone has asked a terminology, they've, they've said something like, uh, what would you do in this scenario? But they used a word that they've never heard before. And the candidate said, oh, I don't know. I've never done that. But in retrospect, when we debriefed it, we looked up the word and she was like, oh, I do that all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but could you imagine how different the conversation would have been if you said, you know, I don't know what that word is. Can you explain it to me? And once they explained it, I'm sure she would have said, oh, absolutely. Let me tell you about all the accomplishments that I have in that area. Mm -hmm. um, so just have grace for yourself and recognize that they have their flaws. You have your flaws and it's okay. Wow. <clears throat> That's so much good stuff. I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> Let's, let's jump back to the first two. What you said at the end of the first two that struck me is, you know, people are like, yeah, 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 mindset. <clears throat> Let, let's get to the practical. Mm. For those people, um, and I, I'm sure you agree with me, you cannot dismiss, like mindset sucks. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to worry about it. Mm -hmm. We just want, you know, it's a lot of hard work. It's a, it's discouraging sometimes. It's It's not... You know, understanding, you know, understanding your mindset can take, you know, years, you know, just mm -hmm. to break down your mindset and why it is the way it is. It's not a fun process, but I can't stress the importance of understanding your mindset and doing the work to ensure that you have the correct mindset. Mm -hmm. um, mindset will either make you or break you at the end of the day, yeah. in, in my opinion. Um, and I think, I mean, I think that you could probably prove it. Um, I, I don't know if it has been proven, but I'm, I think it'd probably be fairly There's easy to prove. There's a study that Harvard did. I don't know when it was, but it was on emotional quotient, which is around the mindset piece, like how you mm -hmm. can manage your emotions and process your emotions. And there was a group of, Harvard students, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I'm not butchering this, um, where people thought that those with the highest IQ would be the most successful, and it was not. IQ does not in and of itself correlate with success. EQ, emotional quotient, your ability to process your emotions, which is where part of mindset comes from and resiliency and stuff, that had a bigger impact on success than IQ. So those with higher EQ, actually, even though they had a lower IQ than those with the high IQ, they still outperformed. And yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I've heard that study too. And one of the most important things they found is people with high EQ, not only can they understand their emotions, but they have a better ability to understand everyone around them, mm -hmm. their emotions, which helps them make non-emotional decisions when dealing with these with with everyone around them, which ultimately results in higher productivity for the whole group. You're right. Yes. 
And, and I mean, there are just so many dads like EQ, IQ. He, he, he's lost in the sauce over here. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, like yeah. understanding your, your emotions, understanding your mindset it is a very, probably in my opinion, I would say it's one of the most important things you can do in your life, not just your career, in your life is understand why you think the way you think mm -hmm. and understand where it's good and where it's detrimental. You know, yeah. once we understand these things and, and, you know, you may not be able to change it, but you, if you understand it, you can negate it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, like, Absolutely. and uh, one of the things that frustrates me, uh, you know, negative people, right. People that just mm -hmm. are pes pessimistic. It's their nature. Most of the time, it's just their nature to be pessimistic. Mm -hmm. Pes um, pessimistic. Thank you, Dad. You're welcome. <laughs> I can't speak. Anyway, it's just their nature. A lot of times, it's not intentional. They're not trying to aggravate people. It's just the way their brain works. Mm -hmm. And um, there have been a number of studies done on this. And there, a lot of people think they're just self-sabotaging. And that's not the case. It's just the way they view the world. But once you understand that that's how you view the world, you can learn the steps necessary to process what you, how you're viewing the world to determine whether it's real or not. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so, um, man, I, I feel ill prepared now because I can think of several studies off the top of my head that, that deal with this. But I don't have them looked up, so we're Same. just going to keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> Same. But, um, but I mean, that that's so important. So those of you that, that cause I, I'm guilty of it, too. It's like, okay, let, let's get to the practical. Let's, mm -hmm. let, let's get to where I can move. Yeah. Because I don't like to sit still. But well, I, I think mean, a lot of people don't. What The reason why the mindset piece in my mind is so difficult is because it requires us to acknowledge that the world has an impact on how we think about ourselves. Like it, I don't know, I, I feel like it requires this bit of vulnerability and because we all have an ego, like it's a psychological fact, right? We all have an ego, we all have a sense of pride. It's really difficult for us to to acknowledge that there could be something wrong with the way we're thinking about ourselves. And so that vulnerability is what we don't want to go through because we think it's weakness. Like the society, at least in the in Western society, has made us think that that vulnerability is weakness. But to me, mm -hmm. vulnerability is like when you're willing to go into the ugly space, <laughs> you're willing to face something that may not be right. And to me, that's like the the strongest thing you can do. It's the hardest thing to do. So I just find it interesting. But I think, yeah, that kind of like avoidance of vulnerability is like part of the reason why we don't look at mindsets too often. Yeah, that's deep. Well said. Well said, Patricia. <laughs> 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 and then the last thing about what you said of your four, uh, your four steps or processes, I don't remember what you called it, um, was grace. And that mm -hmm. is just, that's so important, especially for me. I beat myself up 
Yes, Dad, your your shirt says experience grace. Is that what it says? Yes. <laughs> He's prepared. <laughs> right? Um, for me, I beat myself up. Like, mm. I make a mistake. Like, if if I'm or if you're my employer and I screw something up, you don't. All you need to tell me is that I screwed up. You don't need to yell at me. You don't even need to punish me, because mm-hmm. I'm going to punish myself. I promise. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not good. I know it's something. It's something I work with and I try to not do. Mm-hmm. But man, it's hard. It's, it's hard to give oh, myself yeah. that grace because I don't know if I expect perfection out of myself. Mm-hmm. I, I think I do because, uh, you know, when I started going back to school last September, the first pa- uh, paper I turned in, I probably rewrote it. We'll say, we'll say modestly. I probably rewrote it 25 times. Mm, whoa. Um, right. That's intense. <laughs> right. And well, it would start with me not liking a paragraph, so I'd rewrite the paragraph, and then I wouldn't like how that paragraph I rewritten went with the rest of it, so mm-hmm. I'd just rewrite the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And I got a C, I think, like a low C uh, mm-hmm. on my paper. What? Mm-hmm. Right? He said, you and never it's... told me about that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I'll uh, look at your report card the next time. Uh, we, we don't get report cards in college. Um... <laughs> But, you know, afterwards, I I was talking to my professor and I told her, like, all the work I put into it and how upset I was that I got such a low grade. And she asked to see my very first one, my rough draft. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I would have given that an A. And Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand why. And it's because I was sabotaging myself ultimately is what I was doing. I didn't realize I was doing it, but that's what I was doing because I was seeking perfection where perfection can't be found. Mm-hmm. And it's good. You know, like you said, we have to give ourselves grace. We have to give ourselves the understanding that we aren't perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We're not going to have the perfect interview. The, the example I shared with you earlier, that was a perfect interview. We just, we talked yeah. about the job a little bit. And the rest of the time we just talked. That was a perfect interview, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's funny because I felt after the interview that there's not, there wasn't a snowball's chance that I was going to get that job because every time he would ask me a question, squirrel brain would take over and I would take the conversation an entirely different way. And because mm-hmm. him and I were so similar in our interests, he followed me and then would catch himself like 10 minutes later and have to get us back <laughs> on track. Yeah. And I kept doing it. And I'm like, man, like this guy thinks I'm an idiot. There's no way he's going to hire me. And then he mm-hmm. called me a couple of days later. He's like, hey, man, like come back in. I want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was so down on myself, so upset with myself because I, I let that happen. But when I look back now, I'm like, man, that was, 
That was the best interview of my life. I, I enjoyed that interview. It was a fun conversation to have. That's a little awesome. bit of work, a lot of, you know, and a lot of what yeah. we find interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, part. yeah. And so, and that ultimately, that's what got me the job is he liked my personality. He liked who I was. He liked my, my confidence and my, my, um, my passion about mm-hmm. what the things we were talking about. And when I went back in for the second interview, he's like, if you can bring the passion you have for all these other things to the job, He's mm-hmm. like, I'm excited to see what you're going to do. And I was like, yeah. man, like, I, I, I promise you the passion I'll, I, I bring to my work is nothing compared to what you've experienced so far. Mm-hmm. And that was all it took. And I had the job. So, I mean, but that, that time in between, that, that was a rough couple of days because of just my mindset was trashed because I felt yeah. so guilty for not being professional. That's so interesting. And you're not the only person who goes through that. It's crazy how how hard we are on ourselves. And, you know, God taught me something really interesting um, a few years back. You know, do you ever have a word of the year? Do what? Do you ever get like a word of the year where you're like, this year, you know, God's working this out in me. Or this year, it's my year to, I don't know of health or whatever. Like a lot of people have a word of the year. No, I've never heard of that, but I'm interested. Oh, okay. So every year around October, November, around the holidays, I start kind of praying and asking God, like, God, what, what am I working on? Or what are you working out in me this next year? And I usually get a word of the year. This year it happens to be discipline. Not the most fun year, but we're, we're moving (laughs) through it. We're almost done with it. But, um, a few years back, the word was humility. And at first I was like, oh, cool, humility. Like I didn't really understand what it meant. Well, that whole year was the, every time I went in my devotional, every time I spent time with God, every single time, it was God showing me how much I made of myself. It was a rough year. Like I realized how prideful I am. I realized how self-centered I am. I realized how in my world, the world revolves around me. And even worse, this is the crazy thing. So I have, I had, or I still have, we all have them, but I, you know, these insecurities that we have, imagine there's like a line, right? Mm -hmm. This is where God made everybody. He made no person better. King David is no better than, you know, the widow. Like everybody is right here. When we're insecure, we think we're under that. So we see ourselves outside of God's design. In God's design, we are all equals. But when we're insecure, we see ourselves below that line. And so out of pride, we want to put ourselves above that line. So that's kind of what God showed me that it's like, I'm insecure. And so when God said, hey, you're prideful, I'm like, no, I'm not. He said, you're self-centered. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm really actually insecure. And he's like, insecurity is you focusing so much on yourself that you feel you have to be perfect when if you see someone else do the same things that you do, you don't think that's bad. You still encourage them. They're still okay. So why is it okay for them to have faults? Why is it okay for them not to be perfect? And why do you still have to be perfect? Isn't that crazy? I've never thought of it that way. I hadn't either. I feel like such a jerk now. <laughs> oh, I, and I'm, I'm telling you, you and I are in the same boat. And, and not only you and I, like everybody... This is human nature. Like, this is what God was showing me. It was kind of like, I'm going to show you this. And I was getting so down on myself. Like, gosh, I, I like, so I was like, I am so ugly inside. Like, 
oh my gosh, like it's great that I'm like figuring this out, but it's like gunk, you know, like when God shows Mm -hmm. you something, you're like, this is a lot of gunk. And one of the things that I learned is that this is human nature. Like we all feel like we have to be perfect, but it's okay if you're not, but let me still put up this front like I'm perfect. And that's where that lack of grace comes from a lot of times. And so I don't know. It, I just, when you said that, I'm like, oh man, I'm in the same boat. Like I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I mean, that actually, I've never thought of it that way. That's very interesting. I'm definitely going to have to, to, to think more on this and maybe do a little research into it. Cause man, that's eye opening. Cause it is selfish, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? Like that, that is straight selfishness to think. I I need to be perfect, but no one else does. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. Man, wow. Well, Patricia, we've been at it for almost an hour, and this has been such a fun conversation. I am so so thankful and glad you came back to share your your insight with us. Um, I love hanging out with y'all every time. So. So where can, where can our listeners find you when they need help with their resumes or getting ready for the big interview? Yeah. So, um, I focus primarily on the comprehensive career search just as a big package, including the mindset piece and the faith piece all the way throughout. Um, and if that sounds like something that folks are interested in, I'm over at the uncommon Um, and so I know uncommon can be one of those words. Let me just remind you, it's got two M's. So the uncommon career.com. <laughs> I've had people who are like, it's not there. I'm like, yes, it is. That's <laughs> uh, funny. People, when they type my website, a lot of times they'll type renown mm. as instead of renowned. Yeah. And it's funny because people don't understand the differences between the two and how they're used. So that's besides the point. What about, uh, do, do you have any, uh, any, uh, free resources for people? Yeah. So, um, right now what I have up on the homepage is, um, the process of figuring out like the five steps to figure out what your calling is, um, which goes over a li- very little of what we talked about today, but I'm actually working on a new one, especially for those folks who have that, um, maybe want to work on their mindset a little bit more. So, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago, I had a huge, oh, it was that same year we talked about, I had a huge issue with insecurities in just every area to the point where I was getting like anxiety and I'm like, why is this coming to me? Um, but the way I moved past it and what I use for other folks now too is going into the word and I got specific scriptures that were say like they go in little phases. The first one is, I know you're willing and able. So it's got a couple scriptures on that. Um, the next one is... Um, it is not your will that I am anxious. It is not your will that I'm worried. It is not your will that X, Y, Z. And so I've got a couple of scriptures there. And so it basically walks you through like a faith walk from scripture on sort of like correcting your mindset all the way through to scriptures that directly negate the attitude that you are not worthy, that, you know, you're supposed to be less than and all of that. So it just kind of walks you through it. Super, super helpful. I mean, the word is living and it changes you like you would not believe. It's amazing. And so I just kind of put it together for folks. So that should be up in the next week or so. Awesome. 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 Well, Patricia, I, again, I thank you so much. 
on behalf of my dad and I, we love having you and we're definitely going to have to have you back in a couple of months. So awesome. one last word of wisdom go. Oh gosh, that was, whew. okay. One last word of wisdom. Um, if you spend time with God, it's the best way you can spend your time. I love it. Awesome. Best way. No better way. Awesome. All right, Patricia, it's been great. Thank you so much. And we will see everybody next week. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Sweet to get into my but I can't pull back. Though I try to resist, I can't fight this. And no one makes me feel like you do. All right, everybody, that wraps up today's podcast. I hope you guys just got everything you need to, to start preparing your resumes and start getting ready for that interview process that you're about to go through, if you're about to go through it. And hey, don't forget the part where she talked about the, the 20% is not your resume. Don't spend so much time dwelling on your resume. I, I know that's a pitfall that I have. That I, I just want my resume to be perfect and shine. And it's a lot of work for nothing when you get right down to it. So great advice from Patricia. As always, make sure you go check out her website, theuncommoncareer.com. She also has her own podcast, which yours truly has been on, uh, the Uncommon Career Podcast. And then don't forget to go ahead and check out the renownedleadership.com. Uh, That's R-E-N-O-W-N-E-D leadership.com. We got tons of free resources there. We got tons of free resources at the top and kind of the center of the screen. It says free resources head there. And we got things for uh, leaders leading remote teams. We got another resource to help you build, build better personal relationships with your team members. Just few quick hitting checklists that can help you get instant, uh, instant success tomorrow. So make sure you go to renownedleadership.com and check that out. Also, in the top right hand corner of the screen, you can click book a call and book a free session with me and uh, we can get you on the fast track to becoming the leader you need to be. So enjoy the, uh, your week, the rest of your week this week, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. And don't forget, lead like a champion.